Hello, and welcome to Matters of Engagement, a podcast exploring the complex world of patient engagement and partnership. I'm Jennifer Johannesson. And I'm Emily Nicholas Angle. In this special feature, we're bringing you a conversation with Biba Tinga. Biba is parent and caregiver to her son, a young adult with sickle cell disease. Biba is also president and executive director of the Sickle Cell Disease Association of Canada. For just a little bit of context, sickle cell disease is an inherited blood disorder. And according to Health Canada, it can shorten the life of affected individuals by more than 30 years. It's caused by abnormally shaped red blood cells that can impair blood flow, causing strokes, lung disease, and organ damage. In Canada, around 5,000 people live with sickle cell disease, and it most commonly affects people of African descent, as well as Caribbean, Latin or South American, Middle Eastern, and South Asian descent. We initially spoke with Biba to ask for her reflections on the Equity and Diversity episode with Nav Prasad. But once we started talking, we realized that Biba's experience as an advocate was almost a perfect case study of what we've been talking about. The importance of focusing on health equity as opposed to comparatively simple notions of diversity. So even though this episode is an extension of the patient partner reflection segment in the previous episode, it also gets into some of the realities of advocating for policy change to support the health needs of a racialized group, one that is disproportionately affected by a rare disease and is not well supported by our Canadian healthcare system. Biba's work as an advocate is of course directly informed by her lived experience. We'll put a link in the show notes to an interview with Biba on the Innovative Medicines blog. We encourage you to take a look, as it's a good overview of Biba's personal experience, her work, and some of the policy changes her association is advocating for. And a quick note, Biba refers to the Sickle Cell Disease Association of Canada by its acronym, SCDAC. Okay, here's our conversation with Biba. like just being invited to have conversations isn't quite enough, is it? Exactly, exactly. Absolutely. Because as I said, we are not a source of information. We are equal stakeholders in this process, right? So we need to be at the table when the, the program are being developed, when when um, the resources are being put together, when the research, pro, like everything that is being done at every step, we have to be part of the conversation, not call in to just come and, you know, um, provide input and then leave, then then how does that work? So that raises a question that comes up a lot in patient engagement. People want to be involved in projects or research from the very beginning, even before the funding application is submitted. But of course, there's no money for compensation yet. So people will be asked for free labor. Have you encountered this issue in your advocacy work? Of course, and, 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 and you know what, as you've uh, rightfully said that uh, we're gonna have to ask people for the free labor and it's very difficult, specifically in certain communities where, you know, um, uh, people have to work and, you know, and, and but um, here is the thing. Uh, personally, for example, we are all volunteers. So uh, imagine how hard it is for us, you know. But at the same time, it's very important that uh, when I said, like, you know, when I talk about patient here and I talk about the patient group per se, you know, patient advocacy group, um, if a, a research program is, is going to be developed, they have to be stakeholders, they have to be co-applicants, they have to be partners, and we sit together and we work and we determine uh, what are we looking for, which information are we going to seek for. And 
and right away, this uh, this notion of oh, um, they have to be paid, so we're gonna use them, and we. I don't think that's the first goal here when we are all advocating. We are advocating for something bigger than that. We are advocating for our quality of life. We are advocating for access to care, equal access to care, you know, we are uh, uh, to all services. So I don't want that to be used against the patient community. You know, I don't want it to be, okay, a reason for us not being called at the table. No, no. Um, I think give us the, uh, the opportunity to make our own decision bring us to the table, let's have the conversation and we will tell you what we can or cannot do. But in any way, I do not see how, for instance, let's, let, let's take a, a clear example. We are working on a project now and we are collaborating with Canadian Blood Services for the need of blood, right? And uh, ACDAC is a collaborator and we are working with the researchers hands to hand. We put together this research project together and we are going to the community and you know um, and and collect the data that you know we can work on this project. So we feel like here we are stakeholders in this project. We are working together, and most of us are not being paid on this project. Yes, I know now people are going to talk about fairness, but to us, you know, the goals is bigger. The result that we're going to get out of this for our community is more important than anything. So. I would like to leave this financial aspect out for now and let us focus about bringing effective change. And that can happen only if um, we are able to work. And, and, and why is that that a researcher or anybody can put a program and a research program together and get paid right away and not the patient community, not the patient groups? Because the definition of an expert has to change at some point. Uh, the expert is not only the person who is able to come and do the research and do the work, but the person who is living with the disease who has been affected directly is, is providing all the information to also be um, at the table sitting and representing you know, equally as the person also who is coming and getting the information and analyzing it. So how do we change things, you know, to work together effectively? How do we do that? There must be a way. It's just about being willing to, to sit at the same table and work on it. Yeah, I don't think this has occurred to me before, that asking for money or not participating because there's no money, it's actually a pretty privileged point of view. Because they are already at the table. They are already at the table. They are part of the conversation. They are being listened, like they're being considered and we are working towards that. So, and then make no mistake, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be compensated. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that let's put that conversation aside for now. For now, it's about uh, efficient and sustained um, policy against, you know, everything that has been uh, preventing us from being at that table, for having access to uh, equitable care, you know, in the system. So for us to reach that, um, I don't think our concerns are there yet. We are because, and again, that's why we're having the conversation about equity, right? So the needs are different. And this is where we need to actually uh, analyze what are we trying to do here, right? So we're trying to treat everyone equitably according to their circumstances. So you cannot take um, those of the orders and apply it to a specific community. You see that it doesn't work right there you are understanding that it's not the same level of, um, of uh, how do I say, implication for us. So remember when I was telling you about uh, blood donation 
an iron deferral. So as a Caucasian person, your level of iron is you know, higher than mine as a black person. So when we are trying to donate blood, you and I, I will be deferred automatically because of what is considered as the normal, as the norm comes from a Caucasian woman, not from a black woman, right? So for instance, that has to be changed. So policies have to be changed for us to be able to be treated you know, uh, at the same the same way and then be able to participate the same way in any kind of research program first. So that's when you see when the conversation comes to uh, implementation details, you know, how, how do we compensate people and how do we do this? And I'm saying that the change has to come from higher than that for even us to be able to start sitting at the same table and having the same conversation. So we are, we are bringing our chairs and sitting and we are starting a conversation. And already the conversation is at some point that we have to say, let's look at the, the everything in general first. All the policies that are here at this time are preventing us from having access to the same opportunities as others. Can we talk about that to remove them first? And then there will be no issues of saying how to compensate or not. So then when your organization or when you as an individual come to these so-called tables, what level do you find your conversations are happening at? Are they mostly talking about how people should be compensated or how to improve engagement or what you, I guess, called implementation details? Or are you asked more about changes that you're actually looking for at the structural or like policy level? So it depends, you know, uh, where you are. For example, when I am in network, like uh, uh, where I, I meet with other rare disease groups, you know, of course we have the same uh, challenges, you know, we are all trying to have access with limited treatment options. So there I feel like we fit and we can have conversation about, you know, cause we're facing the same issues, dealing with a disease that has, you know, not a, a large population, limited resources. There the conversation I understand that can be, um, something that we can all relate to and we can all work together and support each other in finding solution. Where I think that um, it's different is where I have, uh, where you are invited by this, um, I would say decision makers, you know, might it be a hospital or anywhere and you're sitting there and trying to tell them that, well, our, our, our specific pro, we need more program for our patient community or we need more staff you know, to, and to be able to achieve comprehensive care. And then they are at another level of conversation telling you about, you know, but how do we do this? You know, can we have volunteers or can we, or, or for us to hire staff you know, to come in and serve this particular population? We don't have a budget for it. So that's when I think like, okay, we have conflicting priorities. We have conflicting tasks, so we are so we cannot have a, a discussion that will benefit us. Then I feel like okay, the priorities are different, right? So when you bring the hospital staff people talking to a patient group, we know what we need to serve us. We know what we want to see implemented in that clinic, but they have to work with a budget. They have to work with their own policies that are not made for us. So in that point, I'm like okay. My, what I'm talking about and what they're talking about is just not, uh, it, 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 we are not having the, we're having the same conversation, but we don't have the same priorities. And if we don't align them, then we cannot work effect, effectively together. I don't know if I'm making sense, but I'm trying to give you an example for you to understand clearly why 
So um, when I'm having a conversation with Maureen Smith, of course we, we understand this, and we all patient advocate, even if it's for different diseases with different disorders, we all have the same goals. We can sit at the table and say, for sickle cell, we need it for, for any other disease, this is what we need. We can come together and say, okay, we're gonna advocate. When we go to Canadian Blood Services, we advocate for the same, the need for plasma, the need for blood. We are looking for solution for our community. But now when we talk about the policy makers and the decision makers for any institution, then it's different. So that's when you have to know how the patient advocates. What do you bring to the table and make sure that the conversation is about you, your needs, and how they can understand them and meet them. Do you find that the conversation is different depending on whether you're there to advocate for the sickle cell community specifically versus say when you're part of a larger patient group or part of the broader rare disease community? Yeah, of course. Because the minute you step in, like, you know, when you bring it, when, when you are standing on your own as an organization just for sickle cell, right away, people see the community that you represent with what, what you know, what you represent, and then it shifts, it changes, right? Versus when you come as an advocate with a group of people. Um, I'll give you an example. We were able to go to a health committee at the Senate and talk about, again, um, um, a bill that was put forward about uh, plasma donation, paid plasma donations, right? So we went as a group of rare blood disorders and we were able to uh, um, uh, get the change and we said that we were, anyway, so we were able to work efficiently and achieve our goals. But sickle cell has been standing on its own for how many years now and advocating in Canada? For simple things has a patient registry where we know how the patient registry can help, you know, um, in the in health research, you know, and can address inequities, of course, because we're gonna address the disease burden, treatment option, and everything. And we've not been able to get a single champ, uh, a single healthcare provider to champion the program, or even get resources allocated from public funds to start it. Mm -hmm. While you look at other diseases who are here with um, less patients and they've had this registry for forty years. So that is, there's a difference, you know, when also even, even within advocacy, I can say there are, there are differences. So I wonder why, <laughs> that's the question. So why do you think, so why do you think that is? Um, you know who sickle cell affects, right? The, the majority of people affected are um, African, Caribbean, Latin or South American, Middle Eastern, South Asians, you know, so which are in like a visible minorities. So to me, these are underserved communities, right? So the minute you come into that, oh, wait a minute, there are no resources allocated to that. So now when you want to know um, how to, how to, uh, how to change things for those communities. When you advocate for those communities for a long time, you know that nothing is easy compared to if you are seen as just somebody bringing. It was very interesting experience for me to, to see that once we try to move any other issue that is not specifically attached to our community, it's, it's moved faster than if it is for sickle cell. So we wonder why, you asked me why, right? Um, underserved communities racialized communities and there are those policies that, policies that are uh, implemented that are not for us, not made for us, and that are bringing a real disadvantage to our community. 
so just to clarify, did you say that you felt you could move the needle faster or better when you aligned with other rare disease organizations? I think, yeah, I think so. I think um, even though we've made a lot of effort in Canada has sickle cell on our own, right? We've achieved a lot since uh, 2012 when uh, the national organization was formed. But at the same time, I've noticed that effective change, like changes are coming faster with, with, with uh, not only, not always um, causes that really benefit our community, but we do align with other groups to push for something that totally does not really change anything for our treatment, but we see it's just being carried, you know, quickly, faster than when we bring one specific issue that only um, addresses sickle cell. Like, do you think there's a longer term benefit for you to be kind of associated with a larger group? And maybe some of that group is going to see benefits before you do, but maybe if you hang in there long enough, you'll eventually start to get some benefits or? It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be like that. I don't think it's, it's, it's fair, right? It shouldn't be, we don't have to do that. I think we have to, we should be able to stand because, and again, um, creating um, an environment where everyone is be treat, uh, treating you know, equitably according to their circumstances. And ours are different than other groups. So it has to be taken in consideration on its own so that we can achieve the equity we are looking for, right? So if we are doing that, then sickle cell has to be just considered to say, okay, what are the challenges? What are the barriers to access to care for this population? We need to address them, to bring them to the same level as any other disorder, cancer, any other one, um, any other cancer or any other red blood disorder. And then we can start having a conversation. So one of the questions we obviously got into with NAV was whether increasing diversity in patient engagement has an impact on health equity. So what do you think about that? Oof. You know, I think having those different voices and as many voices as we can is important because it raises our, it's going to raise awareness and it's going to start the conversation. But for effective change to happen, we, we, we need action. We need action. So um, looking at it really, uh, from our perspective, the only way that um, we can bring as many voices as we can, if we don't put efficient and sustained policy against sickle cell disease, it's not going to do anything. So we need public support. We need to develop, you know, public support, and then um, uh, remove all the policies that are creating a barrier for us. Uh, bring the resources that are necessary, you know, for our circumstances to make to bring effective change. And again, as I said, before we change the staff, <laughs> you know, we need to allow those staff when they're gonna be hired to bring the diversity, whatever, we're gonna have to bring them uh, to put together in place the policies that can allow them to work and treat every single group, you know, the same way with the same resources. And we don't have that now. So we have to affect the resources to the right place first, rather than doing anything else. Yeah, what you're saying seems to align with some of what Nav said, not relying on small changes to have ripple effects, but to put the energy and resources into the big stuff first. So Nav also talked about how diversity isn't always the goal, but when, you're, when you center equity or if you're centering equity, you might need to prioritize certain groups, right? Yeah. Well, I, that's when maybe that's one of the things where I totally agree with him that, you know, uh, we need to make those 
except before we get kind of, uh, to get any effective change we need to so if we don't put a priority on those um, community that has been you know misrepresented underserved all these years how are you going to bring uh, equity in the healthcare system how Fiba, I wonder, given your position, what issues you and your organization want raised, like whether it's related to what we've been discussing already today or something completely separate? Well, it's clear that, you know, because of the community that is affected by sickle cell disease, as I said, and, you know, as I, I mentioned earlier, that um, there is uh, a clear gap to be filled. You know, we have to close this gap, you know, um, to achieve equity. So it's... Uh, it, it fall right why we are advocating, what we are advocating for. If you look at sickle cell disease um, for, the, for the treatment of sickle cell disease in Canada, for the past 40 years, we've only been left with supportive care. What is supportive care? The only drug used for sickle cell disease is a cancer drug, okay? And then we have the blood products, blood transfusions. So that's the only thing that we have. But now, nowadays, since 2017 and at the end of 2019, we've had three new drugs specifically targeting sickle cell treatment approved in the US by the US FDA. They are not available in Canada yet. And we don't even know when. We are not even, you know, uh, they're gonna come to Canada. So when a, when a population is left with um, short life expectancy, many complications, you know, um, coming like a kidney failure, heart failure, leg ulcers, you know, um, strokes at a very young age, you know, under 10 years old kids are having strokes. And then um, even though there is a cure for sickle cell, which is the bone marrow transplant, but it's only being offered to less than 10% of the population because of the eligibility criteria that are put there are so difficult, you know, and the decision is not given to the patient community, but to the, to the healthcare providers to decide who gets, you know, who is, who can be eligible or not. So um, when all that, uh, with everything that we are facing, we fall right in the group of um, uh, disease group that should be talking about health equity all the time because it's, there is nothing, like we don't understand why all those barriers are there, if not um, of uh, um, policies that are not made for us, that did not take us into consideration, that did not take us in, in account at even the decision level, you know, at our government level first, to start with the government, federal, provincial, you know, we are not being heard, we are not being considered, we are not being taken into consideration. And that's why when you come to the institution providing the care, resources are not there to treat our patient community. So, um, and that's why we formed uh, ACJC in 2012 when we realized that the federal and the, the provincial patient group were there, they were working, offering support, doing good in their provinces, but then we needed to do more. We needed to go to the federal level and get things you know, um, implemented from there so that we come all the way down to the, to the person standing in their province for them to receive care. So, um, yeah, we need to continue this equity conversation. We need to, to talk about it. We need to continue to raise our voices. We need to continue to share our experiences until we are heard, until we are uh, brought at the table to be listened to. And our government needs to step up and close the gap in the care for sickle cell disease in Canada. So Biba, last time you were telling me about some of the challenges around donation and blood yeah. products. Can you talk about those again? 
Yeah. So when you have only um, like a blood transfusion has a treatment option for you to stay alive and have a quality of life. So we look closely into that. So at ACJC, we have a blood strategy. Uh, the minute you know we start working, we said we need to focus on that because that's the only uh, um, treatment option for our community. So when you receive frequent blood transfusion, it's very important that the blood you receive comes from the people from the same ethnic group as yourself. And in the case of sickle cell, I told that the majority of people affected are African, Caribbean, or um, uh, South American, or Middle Eastern. So it's important that we, we get blood from this specific community, right, to support them. And there are some specific uh, um, policies like the malaria deferral. If you've ever had malaria in your life, you can never donate blood in Canada. Or if you even travel to a malaria endemic region, when you come back, you are deferred for a few months before you can donate blood. And also, I mentioned the iron overload earlier, right? So uh, most of Black women get deferred because of the level of iron in their blood, which is how we are built genetically. It's not going to change. So for those, we consider them as simple barriers to our community to be able to support the, the treatment for sickle cell. So these are the type of issues that we advocate for, that we try uh, to work on. So, you know, when I, I, was, told, I was talking about the, the implementation uh, details, right? So it won't make any change for us to put uh, um, uh, all the work in the community to educate them or raise awareness about the need for blood to support sickle cell treatment if when they come to effectively donate blood, they are being turned down. So the policies, have to change first to allow us, you know, to do the work and bring um, a good treatment for people living with sickle cell disease in Canada. And in order for those policies to actually be meaningful, then you also still need that registry, right? Is that correct? Exactly. So now the registry that, um, uh, as you all know, every patient group needs a registry. Why? First of all, it's the first um, tool to make you visible and counted in the healthcare system. So when you don't even know how many patients you have, where they live, how can you count them in the programs that you put in place to support people? So that's one of the first reason when, every time I talk about the region, I'm like, it's a simple database to know that you exist in the healthcare system, and then you're gonna be counted when it comes time to create, to put the risk, to allocate resources to every disease. And sickle cell doesn't have one. So unless we start by that, we address that, we are not, we can have 10,000 panel discussion. We can bring sickle cell patients, caregivers, advocates, physicians to talk and talk, but that's one of the first tools we need to have to implement change. Because we're gonna be able to address, you know, the disease burden, the treatment option, all the complications to it, it's gonna, it's gonna change everything, you know, for us, for our community. And we've been asking for this since 2015. The and the first time we went to advocate in Ottawa on Parliament Hill, that was one, one of the first thing we took. We said, we need a national registry for sickle cell. We need to count to know. And also those who have the sickle cell trait, because many diseases have been able to be, I would say maybe, reduce the number, the, the incidence of the disease and also reduce the number of birth with, this, with sickle cell if people knew about the sickle cell trait status, right? So if we do a registry, we are not only going to identify those who have the disease, but also those who have the trait because it takes both parents who have the trait for the child to have the sickle cell disease. So 
Yeah, if we get the registry, we are also going to be able to educate our community and make sure that when it comes time to have children, people can take you know decision with the right information. Because it doesn't make sense that in 2021, people are still having kids and saying, I didn't know I had the trait, right? So that also is something that when we look at it for our community, if we are not giving the opportunity um, to get the information that will help us make the right decision, how is that uh, equitable for us in this system? Yeah, it sounds like your experience would be quite frustrating in that, you know, it's like we've been at this table many times before and we've told you what we need. So, so then how do you approach things? Do you still see a benefit in being invited to those tables kind of fresh with, with people wanting to learn about your community and what you need after you've been doing this for so long? Of course, I think uh, it's just, uh, we have to continue to raise awareness, right? That's how you create partnership. That's how you, you educate people around you who might be able to be part of the, you know, the change process. We are a community, right? So first of all, we need to know each other. And uh, so if you don't know about uh, my challenges or my needs, how, you know, how are you going to be able to, to support in any way? So, yes, I, I think we still have to continue to talk, to share, you know, to share our, our frustration and our, and our needs, to express them. And, but at the same time, we have to advocate for, uh, for them at the right place because you can talk 10,000 times at, uh, at those panel discussion if the goal is just to uh, to listen to your experience and not and know and nothing comes out of it you know no change no effective action then it's not going to go anywhere so we have to pick wisely where we appear from now on and and how we do it you know effective how we can bring effective change so from your perspective, do you feel like most of the barriers, I guess, if we want to call them that, are they more on the side of like who's listening and what tables you're sitting at? Or do you feel like it's more your organization is under-resourced? Like, like what, do you, what do you need? What does your organization need to advocate better or more effectively? Well, yes, we need resources. As I told you, you know, ACJC is, uh, is run by volunteer is a volunteer-based organization. Everybody is a volunteer. And uh, that makes it, you know, difficult for people to stay committed, you know, and work uh, effectively. So I think at this point, every sickle cell organization should have a patient coordinator program that is, you know, uh, full staff, you know, paid. So those resources should be allocated by our, our, our public system, you know? We, it, it has to be, we have to be funded because otherwise there is, there, is, there is no way that patient voice that we are talking about, that patient engagement is going to happen has equal stakeholders. Every time we're gonna come with, you know, not being able to sit at the table and bring our, our, our opinion, you know, in an, an, uh, equally. So if we are funded, if we have resources, if we have well-established organization where people are able to do the work, then there is no need for anybody to be worried to say, at one stage, do I bring them into the conversation and how do I, uh, how will they remain, uh, how, how can I pay them? Personally, I had to take a leave of absence from my own work just to do sickle cell, 
just to work, just to run the organization because there was, it was not possible to do it part-time, you know? If you've noticed from the beginning of our conversation, I've been telling you about public funding. I've been insisting on the fact that to me is the responsibility of our government, you know, to fund our programs, projects, organizations, whatever they can do so that, you know, we uh, uh, remain sustainable and we support our community. So my uh, own strategy is to just say that, you know, we need um, multiple partners. I consider the farmers as partners because they are the one who develop the drugs that we need to treat the patient community. But for me, I don't necessarily rely only on them, you know, to fund everything. That's why for the registry, for example, we've been sending letters to the prime minister, to Health Canada, to tell them, you know, to serve, to look for funding, to say that this should be supported by our system because it's about better the quality of life of Canadians. So it shouldn't be something that is being um, controlled by any, you know, private institution or anybody. So yes, we know about it. And uh, I could have maybe find the support I'm looking for to staff, you know, our organization if I wanted to do that. But to me, I, exactly what we say, it's not the responsibility of a farmer. They can do it if we do ask or if we agree. Because now sickle cell is the new, um, because there is research happening, and this is one of the largest population with you know this disease. But we keep standing as sickle cell community, and as long as I am a leader, that our strategy to say that we need to be funded by our government, we need to be taken care of by our government, and not anybody else. Thanks to Biva Tinga for participating in this episode. If you have any questions or comments, please get in touch through our website at mattersofengagement.com. This episode was written and produced by Jennifer Johannesson and Emily Nicholas Engel, with generous financial contribution from the Ontario Sports Support Unit, or ASU, which is jointly funded by the Government of Ontario and the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, or CIHR. The views and opinions expressed in this episode belong solely to the producers or their guests and are not to be considered endorsed by ASU, the Government of Ontario, or CIHR. <laughs>